Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt, for that terrifying rendition of a turkey, <laughs> or whatever that was. I don't know what that was. Hi, everyone. I'm Doug. I'm speaking this morning, and I'm happy to be here. Um, we're going to be able to talk about a lot of what Eric said and that's going on in my life. But before, I just want to get us into the mindset of what we're talking about this morning and say that life can change in a moment. And in a way, that's how we learn and grow in our life is through moments of clarity, of seeing deeper into the reality about the real world that we live in and having an understanding that changes us as we go forward. It happens to us all the time, actually. As little kids grow up, this is the way they learn and grow. It's through moments that they go, oh, that's the way that the world is, and they have this moment of clarity. Um, if you've ever seen a little child fall off something or touch something hot or do something, they go, well, now I know not to do that anymore. You know, if you have a fireplace or something like that and the fireplace screen heats up and the child walks up and touches it, they go, ow, now I know that's hot. That moment has then changed that for that child to say, these are the types of things that are hot. It also happens in a lot of different ways. Moments of clarity, epiphanies, where you say, ah, that's the way things are. I think of the organization Invisible Children, a group of guys from uh, San Diego. They went over to Africa, and they were experiencing, they wanted to make a documentary, and they experienced hundreds of children walking through the night. And the, the reason they were walking through the night was that they were escaping some of the violence that was going on in the area. And they talked to one kid, and the, that one child's perspective changed those guys' lives forever. In that moment, they said, this is what my life has to be about. They came back and they started a nonprofit organization, which helped address those issues. But it was that moment that changed them. It also happens in sillier situations, too. I remember growing up, I, was, I loved to go to the beach and try to surf with my dad, and it was so much fun. And we would go to the beach, and I remember I would take waves, and I would ride on the white water coming in, but I remember the first moment that I was paddling for a wave, I hopped up onto my surfboard, and instead of going straight for the first time, I turned, and I started to ride on the face of the wave, and I realized this is what I was designed for in life, is this moment right here. Life will never be the same because this is the greatest moment I've ever had. Some of you went to Israel just recently. And I remember being in Israel for the first time when I went. And I remember looking, standing in the Garden of Gethsemane and looking at the old city, looking at Jerusalem and thinking, oh my goodness, it's real. <laughs> it really happened. The Bible really happened. I just I had that moment of clarity where I, I knew, obviously, I had built my life around the story of what happened on that little mountain in Israel, in Jerusalem. But when I saw it, I went, man, it's really real. It was a moment for me where it began to transform my life, knowing that I could not go and be the same anymore. This morning, I want to talk to you about a moment that happened to me in my life but I will also want to look at a moment that happened in the Bible because there's a story that we're going to look at this morning. And I believe it was a moment for the followers of Jesus, for the disciples. This moment ended up in the Bible. This moment is important. God wanted it in the scripture. It seems to be like another healing story. It seems to be just like all the other stories. But I think there's a moment that goes beyond just the healing story where the disciples have a moment of clarity, an epiphany where they say, I get it. 
I think I get it. So open up your Bible to Mark 10. If you have a Bible, you can open it. There's also one in the seat rack in front of you. Open it up to Mark 10. And as you open it up, I want to get us in the direction of what happened in this moment. So the disciples are much like any friend group. And if you've ever been part of a friend group of 12 friends, chances are there's been a disagreement. There's been infighting, bickering. You stole my sweatshirt. You said to be here at 7 and you never showed up. Those types of things. The disciples are similar. As the disciples are following Jesus, there's moments that occur. I think we're about to see one of the most important moments where they see the true purpose of Jesus, the true mission of Jesus. Last week, Dave talked about this, the setup for this, and I just want to reread. Because in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, we have something happen. And what happens is this. Jesus is, is in the midst of telling the, these people, his followers, these disciples, a lot of things. He's saying, look, the Son of Man will rise again. He's doing these miraculous things. They're following him everywhere he goes. And he's, as he's telling them these stories, opening up about what the future will look like, the disciples come to him, in my opinion, out of fear. They're wondering what he's talking about. They're wondering their place in the whole situation. And out of fear, they have this question. It's this, in verse 35. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do whatever you, you, we ask of you. And Jesus very humbly says, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. I think they can sense that something's about to happen to Jesus. I think they can sense through the resurrection language, through rising to glory, I think they sense that something major is about to happen. And as something major is about to happen, they come to Jesus with this question, Jesus we have a question for you. you, will, you will you do whatever we ask of you? And he says, yes, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, we want a position of power when it all goes down. We want a position of power. Well, this is the wrong question for when Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? He says, what do you want me to do for you? They say, we want power and position, like Dave was talking about. And this causes bickering. This causes an argument amongst the 12 and an argument amongst the followers of Jesus. And they say, you want the power? You want the positions of power? What about us? How come we don't deserve it? Why would you deserve it? It's the wrong response to Jesus's question of what do you want me to do for you? And then you have a little bit time goes by as they begin to travel more. Obviously, they felt shut down by Jesus because Jesus says, you truly think that you can do that. You truly think that you can drink the cup that I'm about to drink, to go through what I'm about to drink. You're wrong. And they get kind of, in a way, put in their place. And you think, oh, that moment's over, right? They didn't learn anything. Maybe they learned a little bit. But I think we miss the follow-up of that story, which we're about to read today. I think the moment comes to completion in the story that we're about to read. Because as time goes on, Another situation happens, and the exact same question is asked. And it comes from a man named Bartimaeus. As they're walking the streets, if you go down to verse 46, then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a large, and a large crowd, 
a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. As Jesus leaves, he's walking on the road. And as he's walking with a large crowd, there's a man sitting on the road. This man, we'll find out, is blind. He's begging. And in that culture, in an honor and shame culture, you're worried about not shaming the one that you honor. If Jesus is this teacher, he's this prolific person who's traveling around, and you're, you're his right-hand man, you want to preserve his honor as he goes and he heals and he speaks and then you have someone who's been dishonored by society, someone who's on the side of the road, not paid attention to. He's begging because he's blind. In the scriptures, we also have another situation where people come to Jesus asking about a blind person. Do you remember what they say? They ask, Jesus, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents that he's blind? So obviously they have a wrong interpretation of what it means to be visually impaired. For them, it was a, a detraction from your life. It made you worse. It made you less than. It disqualified you from normal society, and all you could do was then beg. You sit on the side of the road. You unhonored person. You shameful part of our society, and don't interrupt us. And as they walk with a very honored person, this person, out of desperation, calls out to Jesus, out of his desperation that there is nowhere else to go, nothing else to do, he yells out to Jesus. Read with me. Verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus in that large crowd, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's yelling. And in verse 48, many were sternly telling him to be quiet. And he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Why the son of David? Why is he the son of David? Because the Messiah is in the line of David. He's the son of David. The, the beggar is declaring to the crowd, Messiah, Savior, Teacher, save me. Hear me, see me. And as he cries out, people tell him, shh. Stop yelling. You're, you're dishonoring him by even noticing him. As we walk by, you should stay in your place. But what pulls him out? What pulls the beggar out? It's his desperation. It's his understanding of how desperate he is in the situation where he finds himself. That he calls out, Messiah, son of David, see me. See me. And here's my question for us. I think it's a, there's a lesson for us already in this passage. We haven't even got to the exciting moment. But I think there's already a lesson for us. When we approach Jesus, do we approach Jesus out of a calculated approach? Or do we call out and come to Jesus in our desperation? Because I think for all of us, there are desperate areas of our lives. In our lives, there are moments and places and situations where we feel desperate whether it be our work, whether it be our family, whether it be our relationships, whether it be our addictions and struggles, we are desperate. And in that place, in those areas, how are we approaching Jesus? Do we approach Jesus like the disciples? Jesus, we have a question for you, and before you answer, we, you have to promise to do whatever we ask of you. A calculated approach. Or like this man, 
who sits on the side of the road out of desperation, crawls out, Jesus, son of David, I don't care if I'm bringing dishonor to everyone. I don't care if I'm making myself look like a fool. I need help. And Jesus responds well to desperate people. He seems to do that more often than not. If you're desperate in this crowd, if you're thinking, man, I have some serious desperation, well, good, because Jesus will respond well to you. Jesus tends to respond very well to desperate people. He responds poorly and with criticism to those who approach him with a calculated, manipulative approach. So, where are the desperate parts of our own lives? And I think I want to bring out another aspect. Where are the desperate parts of our society? I think about this a lot. When we think about this, this beggar calling out and saying, Jesus, son of David, help me. Do we need to do that in our own lives? But I think this question also comes up. What have we called out for Jesus? What have we called out to Jesus as a society of Christians? Have we called out in desperation or have we approached Jesus with a calculated approach? So that's our first step. How are we calling out? How are we calling to Jesus? Because Jesus responds. Read with me in 49. And Jesus stops and he says, call him here. I don't know why that's what I think Jesus sounds like. He's British. Call him here. No, uh, call him here. Can you imagine the disciples in that moment? They're like, shh, 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 stop it. Call him here. Oh, really? <laughs> hey, good luck, good news. They called him and, and they say, take courage, stand up. He's calling to you. As the blind man stands up, people hold his hands, they walk him over. It says this, he throws off his cloak and he jumps up and he gets to Jesus. And Jesus answers him. And I think this is the moment, all right? This is the moment that I think, there's a lot of reasons this is in the Bible, but I think this is the moment that stung the disciples. This is the moment that should sting us. Is just a few days earlier, the disciples approached Jesus with this manipulative question about gaining power in Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus asks them a question. He looks them square in the face and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the disciples knew, oh, okay, here's our chance. Here's what I think happens in this moment. This blind man calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He calls to him. He jumps up, throws his cloak off, comes to him, kneeling down in front of him. And he hears Jesus say these words. But Jesus looks at this blind man. This person out of desperation who's called to him, and he looks past him. So he sees him and the disciples. And his disciples look at Jesus. He asks a question. Yes to the blind beggar, but also to the disciples. Also to the ones who a few days earlier asked him this same question. And, he, and Jesus said this. In verse 51. And Jesus answered him. He says this. What do you want me to do for you? And as if, as if he's sending a message to the disciples who responded poorly. This is what the blind man says. Rabboni, teacher, I want to regain my sight. I want to regain my sight. 
Jesus answers them immediately. Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately. Go, your faith has made you well. What do you want me to do for you? I want to regain my sight. I want to see. Go, your faith has made you well. What question are we asking Jesus? Because I believe Jesus has asked asked us a most important question. Something that should ring in our ears. And when we approach Jesus in our desperate places, when we approach Jesus out of our desperation, and he asks us, what do you want me to do for you? I think we have a moment. We have a moment collectively as a Christian body here at Calvary Church. We have a moment collectively as the body of church throughout the world. And you have a moment individually here sitting in these seats to respond to that question. Jesus has asked you, what do you want me to do for you? If you respond poorly, you will create bickering. You will create fighting. You will create a power struggle for position in the kingdom of God. I think it's good enough for us to address the idea that the Christian church, in a way, has responded poorly to Jesus' question of what do you want me to do for you? If you look across the Christian church around the world, where most of us are fighting for who's right, fighting for position, fighting that our denomination is the right one, fighting that our church is the biggest one, is the best one. But what have we responded to collectively as Jesus asks us that? What do you want me to do for you? The beggar says, I want to be healed. I want you to take the most desperate part of my life, the crippling fact that I am shamed, that I am begging, and I want you to speak life into it, Jesus. I want you to heal me. I need to be remade. And Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. So what are we asking Jesus? I think it's an important question, too, for us as a church. Not only as the church as a whole, but as Calvary Church. What are we asking Jesus to do for us? If I stand before you today and I say, Jesus is asking us, Calvary, what we want to do. What do you want Jesus to do for us? Do we want to have a certain type of lifestyle? Do we want to have a certain type of church service? Is that what we want Jesus to do for us? Do we want to leave here feeling a certain way? Do we want to have a position of power in our society, a position of importance because we're Christians and we have it together? Is that what we want from Jesus? Or do we want to be remade in the most desperate areas of our lives? Do we want to look around at our congregation and say, where are we desperate? Where do we need help? And do we want Jesus to heal us? More importantly, in our society, everywhere around us, in Tustin and Orange and Santa Ana and Costa Mesa, Anaheim, when we look around and we say, what are the desperate parts of our city? What are the parts of our city that people are ashamed about? They want them to go away. They want them to be quiet. We don't want to look at them. Jesus, what are we asking to do with those? Are we asking for healing in Santa Ana? Are we asking for healing in the broken marriages and homes and lives and cities of Tustin, Santa Ana, Costa Mesa. But I think it starts with us. It starts with us individually. Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? Are we responding with a request for power and position? Or are we saying, Jesus, I want you to look at the desperate parts of me. I want you to heal the desperate parts of me. Let me share where I'm at in my life. Because as I stand here before you, it's all 
talk, right? I'm just talking. But let me give you a little bit of reality of what's going on in my life. Because there are areas of my life where, I, where I'm calling out in desperation. So I, as you know, have been the high school pastor here for seven years. I've worked here at Calvary for 10 years. And I knew in my life that this topic, how I approach Jesus, was coming to a head in my own life. Because there are areas in my life where I have desperation. If I can just be honest, I'll share about me so that you all can share with each other easier. <laughs> the areas that I'm desperate are in my life is that my wife, and I, my wife and I struggle with infertility. We can't have kids, biologically. But more than that, we struggle with the idea of kids. There are so many kids who need homes. There are so many kids who need family. So adoption and foster care are desperate areas for me. My wife and I are about ready to be licensed as a foster family. So we're stepping out. And we're asking Jesus. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I say, Jesus, in my life, heal the wounds that infertility cause. Jesus, in my life, help me be a response to the desperate situation that's going on in foster care, to the desperate situation that so many children find in their lives. Calvary, if you don't know, is joined with an organization and a vision called Zero by 2020 to end foster care in Orange County. We are partnering with organizations to bring an answer to foster care. I and my wife and our lives said we are taking part of that. Jesus, heal that desperate situation through our lives. Heal us in our de desperate situations. And Jesus says, okay, go, your faith has healed you. And as I think about my life here at Calvary, I, I opened myself up to the idea of what it would look like to step into following Jesus in that way. To say, Jesus, I will do what you asked me to do. I will go to the most desperate areas of our society. I will go to the most desperate areas of my own life and I will allow you to heal me. And it's caused me to come to a place where I've stepped out of Calvary. I don't know if you know this. Some of you, this may be a surprise. But I've stepped away from Calvary. I actually work currently at Olive Crest. I do community involvement at Olive Crest. And I've done it for about a month now. Today is my last Sunday here. And as I step away, it's not because I don't love what the church is doing. This is my church. I will continue to go here forever. Well, I don't know about forever, but <laughs> for a long time, guys. I'm not going anywhere. I love what Calvary's doing. I am, in this moment, I'm, I'm a member, like a lot of you out there. So this isn't a, some pastor telling the congregation, you guys need to come on, let's do this. I'm saying, hey, I'm, we're all in this together. What are we doing here? What are we asking? I'm asking you. I'm one of you. I'm part of the church. Church, what are we asking Jesus to do for us? Jesus is here. He's ready to speak to us. What are we asking? What are you asking in your own life? Are you being vulnerable in your own life? Are you being vulnerable?
different. Not that this is, not, it wasn't even more. It was just God said, I have a position for you. I have something that you need to do. And it was out of desperation that I said, God, I'm afraid to leave. I, I know that I want to go work in nonprofit. I know that I want to go raise awareness about foster care and, and these families that are hurting. Because my wife and I, my life and our life, we have these areas of desperation and infertility. And in growing our family through adoption and seeing the need, I knew it was something I needed to do, but I was afraid to do it. I was afraid to step away from the place I knew so well, was received so well, got to talk to you all all the time, and God, I, I came to God and I said, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And I said, give me courage. <clears throat> and he did. <clears throat> so, what are the areas of your life that are desperate? <clears throat> day. <laughs> what are the areas of your life that are desperate? I know you have them. I know you do. And I know you're scared and you're like, oh, I want Jesus to provide like this bright, shiny toy of a life. But you need to come to Jesus with what you're desperate about. That's what you need to do. The blind beggar did it and was immediately healed. And he immediately followed Jesus. What is, what's the area of your life? I, I know you have it. I know you're probably thinking about it right now. You need to talk to someone about it. You need to be healed in it. You need to allow Jesus to say you are free from that. You're free. Go and do what I'm calling you to do. A lot of you are called to so much more than what you're doing now. A lot of you are called to answer to the most desperate parts of our society, the things that need attention. A lot of you are called to go and do them. A lot of you run successful businesses and you know you should be doing something. There's something in your heart that aches to do more. You need Jesus to give you the courage to go and do it. A lot of you are struggling with a roadblock, something that you are stumbling over constantly, that you cannot get out of your path. You need Jesus to heal you. And you, you have to do it by talking about it. You have to bring it up and talk about it with people. So today, Calvary, next, I mean, I'm here, right? Like, you'll just see me here. But know that we're in it together, that we are answering to the desperate parts of our life and allowing Jesus to remake us. There should never be a moment in this church, and I'll be the first one to volunteer. We, there should never be a moment in this church where we are struggling for volunteers. There should never be a moment where, we're, where we are struggling to do what we want to do, even in our own church, because people don't want to give back. That's an area that we are desperate in. We need, to, we need to deal with the desperate areas of our life so that we can give back to our community, so that we can love one another well, and that we can, we can walk with Jesus on the road. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for everything, God. Thank you for this time here, Lord. God, as we, as we close from me in my life, this chapter of my life, Lord, I pray that you continue a new one, Lord, that Calvary continues to grow, that we continue as a body of believers to address the desperate areas in our own life, Lord, that you heal us, that you make aware to us where we are desperate. God, I love you so much. I thank you for my Calvary family. 
I thank you for everything they've done for me, for what they mean to me. Lord, I pray that you continue to bless us and grow us and change us and heal us, Lord. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. At the... Thank you. No, you don't have to. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you feel like you would like to, thank you so much. If you feel like you, you would like to receive prayer, or if you feel like there is something that I need to talk about, come to one of these prayer points right now. Just come right now. Um, and there will be pastors there. There will be people there to pray for you. Uh, don't let today go by without addressing that thing. Um, talk to your friends and family on your way home, you know. It's Thanksgiving. You know your, your family is coming into town or you're going to go see family. Talk to them. Don't let today go by without thinking about it.